the COVID War Podcasts. Who is this? I'm a private practice trauma and anxiety therapist with 20 plus years of experience, 10 of which were with clients of violent traumas, and I also work in a hospital. My first name is Morris. The fine print. This podcast and written script are the property of Honor Ethics Courage LLC with all copyright and intellectual property rights reserved. Any listener and or reader, however, may copy and distribute this recording and or its written script to anyone who may benefit, provided that no copy is sold, the distributing is free of charge, and Honor Ethics Courage LLC is clearly cited as the copyright and intellectual property holder. Any copied, transmitted, or promulgated section of this podcast or script also must be given specific attribution as property of Honor Ethics Courage, LLC. Podcast Creator's Intent This podcast provides historical context, wisdom from experience, training, and encouragement for nurses and any other staff who are active combatants in the COVID war. The podcasts are designed to be listened to on a phone, i.e. our MP3 files, while driving to and from work. In discussing the potential for podcasts with various nurses, the primary audience, driving was found to be the only block of time consistent in length and potentially available to any and possibly every nurse. Some podcasts are long and may require multiple trips to and from work to complete. Transferring the podcast to a phone is the responsibility of each listener, since there is not a single distribution platform at this time. Podcast number one, setting the stage. As we begin these podcasts, it is important to embrace that the United States healthcare institutions are in a state of war with the SARS-CoV-2 virus. Nurses I have spoken to recognize this, and some even cite the similarities between COVID and the Vietnam War specifically. These discussions led to this particular podcast. The intent in the podcast is to use historical parallels and metaphors to give a framework to your emotional experiences. No particular military history knowledge is required, but some can give greater insight. As with Vietnam, there is tremendous disruption in our society. There are protests against the handling of the war, the disease in this case, and debate that transitions into conflict and occasional chaos. We do not have a Walter Cronkite, as in the 1960s, sharing the daily casualty counts on the national news. Instead, we have John Hopkins University updating us continuously. Like Vietnam, though, we have seeming advances in the COVID war, are promised new decisive war efforts, and yet suffered reversals far more sustained than the Vietnam War's Tet Offensive. We may not have attempted to turn the tide of the COVID war with something like the Agent Orange defoliation campaign in Vietnam, that was authorized in 1961 and over six years impacted four million Americans. But the economic shutdown certainly had disruptive social impact, internal conflict, and likely long-lasting pain that could exceed in sheer numbers the trauma of Operation Ranch Hand. Apparently sound decisions at a given point in time can have unintended multi-decade impact that takes years to show up, just like Ranch Hand did. Crisis and urgent decisions are prone to error. We can learn from historical errors and successes if we thoughtfully consider them. Why is it important to recognize these similarities with the Vietnam War? We can learn from those who went to war. 
that's why. We can learn from those who thought deeply about war as well, and from those war fighters who came home from Vietnam and taught mental health therapists how to be helpful. It has taken us mental health folks a long time to learn, but fortunately, functional MRI machines have taught us a great deal recently. You as a COVID combatant do not have to wait for us to reinvent the wheel of coping for the COVID war. Others pioneered the way. Let's learn from them. War is traumatic. It is filled with some successes and many failures. Those in war often worry about failure, about failing those beside them and those in front of them or those above them. There is tremendous pressure to just get it done. Whether that is taking a hill for the fifth time, completing a multi-day battle successfully, or protecting your buddies beside you moment to moment. This is true in the COVID war as well. Each shift is a succession of tasks and needs, and death can show up at any time from unexpected causes, affecting patients we thought were safe. Each string of shifts can seem like taking the same hill for the 50th time. Completing a shift, especially where death unexpectedly visits multiple times, can seem futile and an impossibility. We can become filled with disturbing doubts. We can fear that we will fail or have failed our patients, our teammates, our professions. It is important that we learn from other combatants that war by its very nature creates these doubts. As General von Clausewitz observed, war is mainly, quote, fog and, quote, friction. These seeming failures around us, above us, beside us, are a result of the COVID war stressing the systems we work in, which leads to delayed implementation of decisions. Friction often is the right decision at the wrong time. Broken information flows. Fog, which leads to conflicting implementation decisions at various levels. People in the decision chain, overwhelmed by having no good answers, have to make arbitrary ones. They know the front line will not understand. Again, friction. We want, crave, certainty. Certainty that our patients will not die unless we can see it coming in advance. We want predictability as a way to prepare ourselves, our patients, families, and their loved ones. We want smooth information flows and decisions obviously sound in each and every organizational level's opinion. War makes these events extremely unlikely. Good decisions do get made, but the fog means many do not understand that they are in fact good decisions and therefore friction grows. SARS-CoV-2 sometimes allows certainty both in a patient's disease process and in organizational decision-making, allowing decisions to be made at speed with accuracy and good communication across some levels. Notice, however, that I said some levels, not all. Other times we are blindsided. This is not a failure. It is simply life in the high-threat, high-fluid environment of the COVID war. War is different. The French immortalized this in a World War II phrase, c'est la guerre, or that is war. In our environment, there are a succession of events where you move through each shift where we have limited control, but we do have meaningful positive impact. 
There may be some organizational decisions that we currently see that in hindsight we might realize were sound and timely. The high-threat, highly fluid environment tends to dramatically reduce time spent in effective reflection and generating hindsight. We have to pay attention to patients and team needs now. The reality of war is limited control. No one has full control. Generals do not usually determine meaningful impact through grand decisions. Yes, there are obvious exceptions such as Eisenhower and D-Day, but it is most often the sergeants and the privates that have the greatest effect on outcomes. Generals, sergeants, and privates, however, do not control combat. Two common military sayings that are relevant are, war is a democracy and the enemy gets a vote, and no plan survives contact with the enemy. The second saying about the plan is true because the first saying about a vote is accurate. The SARS-CoV-2 virus gets a vote. For us, like soldiers, limited control is not failure. Failure, however, to understand our limited control can rob us of recognizing the meaningful impact we have on our organization and in our patients' lives every shift. Regarding the organizational decisions... I choose to presume goodwill and constructive intent until my teeth have been kicked in. This doesn't sound logical, but this has saved me a great deal of stress. Since I'm not burning minutes to hours of processing time trying to figure out motives that I will never know completely, and I have only occasionally needed metaphorical dental work, yes, Twice in my life to date, it has been full teeth replacement. Generally, my approach caused less burden for me, though, than brushing my teeth. By living out presumed goodwill and constructive intent, I have not invested hours deconstructing motives I actually know almost nothing about. The result? I'm less worn out. When others' decisions cause friction for you, consider accepting that the fog of war is real and that you do not have all the facts. That's a fundamental definition of the fog of war. No one has the complete set of facts at any given time. Set your decisions about intent or motive aside until you can reflect and gain effective insight. Focus on what to do, not why someone seems to be an idiot. Not running seeming idiots through your washing machine of analysis is extremely hard to do sometimes. It can seem impossible. Speculation, however, is the Greek siren's song constantly calling. The Greek siren's goal was doom, not health. Speculation is not only unhelpful, it is destructive when you need every ounce of strength for what you face each shift and at home. While fighting COVID as a combatant, You don't have time or processing cycles to spare. While home, you also don't have time or processing cycles to spare. Events in our work, our community, our nation that are not failures, unfortunately, have been classed as failures by us, by others, by our bosses, by friends, or more painfully, if the event is tied to us, it may be classed a failure by our family, our work partners, random vocal idiots, or even worse, 
by the mythical they. Why is the mythical they the worst? It seems illogical since they are mythical people who do not exist in bodies and do not actually speak. This they, however, do exist in our head, and we give this mythical they tremendous power. What will they think about me? What will they think about what I did? What will they think about the things I missed on this shift? Do they think I did enough? These questions are powerfully debilitating, especially the last one. When we presume this they will never agree we did enough, never approve us, refuse to comfort us, or even extend simple kindness or grace to us, the mythical they do not physically insist in the moment, yet are a significant source of trauma, because they are sculpted from our real experiences, and our mind imports these experiences as future certainties of rejection, hostility, and harm. Once this opinion of harm is imported into a mythical future, we behave as if we are in the mythical future. Now the war is inside us as well as outside us. We live out this future fiction. There inside the wire is one of the most horrific radio messages of war. It means the defenses are breached and the enemy is free to damage anything. Internalizing the assumptions about others' opinions while fighting in the COVID war is potentially debilitating, ending our ability to meaningfully function. I have been to this place in a different war. It was horrific. Recovery is possible. Avoidance of needless and inaccurate internalization is much better. Stop importing future fiction. Any job in healthcare at this time is traumatic to some degree. The COVID war, however, claims lives, minds, and souls. How? Through repetitive and ongoing trauma. Some staff jobs may lead to weekly trauma, others to traumas that are separated by hours or just minutes. For all staff in a hospital, all staff, COVID brings the slowly erosive impact of being intermittently in a war zone and then leaving that war zone for a war-impacted society, a.k.a. leaving for a place called home, the store, or a friend's house. This leaving and going is incredibly difficult. How have past U.S. warfighters coped? Some were given better chances to cope than others, and the improved chances were not intentionally created. One of the things learned in the U.S. wars is the value of unit cohesion, especially during demobilization. In World War I and World War II, many units, when they were demobilized and brought home, came home as units. Why? Transportation and geography. An ocean or two had to be crossed, and only ships had sufficient capacity to take the troops home. Ships took days to weeks to cross these oceans. Also, this time around... Hurry up and wait. That seemingly eternal reality of military life was quite valuable. The units leaving the front line waited as a bonded unit. They could talk to the people that they had bonded with, their buddies. This bonded communication is often rich and deep. It certainly, however, is not always quiet, comfortable, or happy. But it tends to be highly efficient and quite impactful. 
With the reality of waiting and geography giving extended time, plus the military's decision to keep units together, the unit's individuals could remember meaningful things. They could dream together of future enjoyments. They could celebrate, curse, and mourn people they knew and lost. They could begin to decompress. In the demobilization, there was another advantage, a known end to the war. We don't have that yet and a potent driver of our ongoing trauma is the struggle of wondering, when will it end? Many nurses and physicians have said to me, I'm done with COVID. That statement reflects the strain of the unknown end. Humans do much better with a known end to trauma. That is part of why Vietnam Marines and soldiers knew their rotation home date to the day. Unfortunately, we don't have this. With Vietnam troop movements, troop replacement was done as individuals. You rotated in country as an individual for an exact time period and rotated out as an individual. On the way out to what was referred to as the world, Vietnam combatants got on the lovely Freedom Bird, which was a chartered commercial Boeing 707 airliner. This transportation over oceans only took a few hours, and the individuals they were with were not from their unit, but a mishmash of people they had not bonded with. They were alone in a crowd of fellow American combatants. This more rapid and non-bonded transition unfortunately helped complicate veteran lives. A seemingly good idea of knowing my rotation date had unintended harm accidentally built in. I will relate in a bit how this is happening to us as well. Like our Vietnam vets, returning home in our COVID-impacted society, we are also alone in a crowd of American citizens when we are off work. Our ongoing experience and other citizens' experiences don't match. In the original COVID support work during the spring of 2020, nurses spoke passionately about this mismatch. Something to consider is that any staff member's freedom bird is their car or some similar transportation. Hospital COVID combatants are, in a sense, teleported like in Star Trek. Our transition isn't weeks, days, or even several hours. It's minutes to maybe an hour or so. Also, there is no demobilization with bonded unit de-escalation yet. Therefore, the combat has not ended when we are home, because we teleport to the middle of a home impacted by the COVID war. But people with folks that don't get it, which is a frequent angry statement of veterans of Vietnam, Iraq, Afghanistan, the global war on terror, and other less widely known combat experiences, the next shift we teleport back directly into actual combat. Average people, including family and spouses, not getting it is one of the most difficult struggles for military veterans. Others not getting it creates deep isolation you more than likely have joined the combat veteran. You get war in a new way because of fighting COVID. If so, you are not alone in getting it. Hundreds of thousands of veterans have blazed that trail for you. Unfortunately for us, the very short transition times between combat and the world, plus the fact these transitions happen every shift, amplify our distress and struggle significantly. This making it harder for us is the same as the World War I and World War II transportation and geography scenario. 
no one decided that we would teleport back and forth. It is the result of multi-decade-old organizational structures that have been accepted also for decades. The rapid transitions destabilize us because they jerk our physiology speed up and down, up and down. Extended rides on the physiological roller coaster creates profound fatigue. With profound fatigue comes sleep issues, emotional reactivity, especially during the revved-up physiology. The result? Our teams and systems begin to fray and fall apart. We get angry and locked into a seemingly stupid decision of our spouses, our children, our patients, our teams' mates, our boss, and or our boss's 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 boss. Again, no one alive today created the rapid transition problem. No one decided since COVID arrived to amplify your pain. Somebody, a long time ago, created a pattern of shifts that work in peacetime and don't help in war. Also problematic for us is that unlike military veterans, there was no pre-combat basic training or advanced individual training for us. This missing training has deeply impacted many nurses and hospital staff. As a cruel executive where I worked once said about me, yeah, we parachuted him into Vietnam without benefit of basic training. SARS-CoV-2 did this to the whole world. No one is still alive from 1918. No one that worked through the Spanish flu can bring us knowledge on how to cope emotionally. There is no basic training on coping with the emotional impact of COVID because there are no experienced trainers other than our war fighters and those who served them. That is why I do these podcasts, to be a conduit of wisdom others have brought to me and lived out in front of me. If you struggle to cope, recognize that SARS-CoV-2 virus parachuted you into Vietnam, and struggling is not a failure, but a feature of the COVID war and every other war as well. In future podcasts, I will talk about trauma bonding. I only briefly touched on it in this podcast. If you work in a COVID unit, are in a unit facing COVID frequently, like an ER, or in an on-demand team like housekeeping, you have trauma bonded with some of your teammates. This can be a powerful, but usually quite confusing experience. Trauma bonding radically alters your safe relationship structure. For now, recognize that the team you have experienced the COVID war with is important. I strongly encourage you to periodically, first, thank the people around you specifically for being beside you, and second, to thank anyone who makes a positive impact in any way. Look them in the eyes and say thank you. Also, accept any thanks that is offered to you. Do not deflect it. Several times in every shift, silently acknowledge the limited control we have. We do not control the COVID disease, its process, or its case surges and easing, just as military combatants, the generals, the sergeants, and privates, can only affect but not control a skirmish, a fight, a battle, or a war. Limited control is simply frustrating reality. It is not failure. You are a participant in a difficult, traumatic process, not the person controlling the outcomes. 
Thanking those around you can allow you to celebrate small victories. Take 10 seconds and notice teammates doing good. These small celebrations in your bonded teams will help sustain you. Little celebrations are a way to use trauma bonding positively. If you see someone do something good, notice it. Enjoy it for a moment. Then, notice and enjoy for a moment when you do something good. It matters. The good and the noticing matter. These moments of emotional nourishment matter a great deal. They are needed to help sustain you. Thank you for allowing me to share what my clients, my own trauma journey, and various thinkers have taught me. I pray it helps you and look forward to sharing other things that can help. Morris